me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a special edition episode of the Green Grass and White Bases podcast. I'm your host, Eric Reardon. So today's uh, today's episode is special edition only in that this is a I'm going to share with you guys a pre-recorded talk that I was able to give to the Phillies RBI program right around this time last year. So I touched on everything from grips on our different pitches activation whether it be our bands or our plyos and making sure we're on a good routine with those things to get us prepared to get on the mound uh, the value of having a throwing program and being on a routine whether it's in the off season building up to the season or whether we're in season and trying to stay healthy and be at the top of our game talks about just how important drill work and pfps are as much as we have to throw strikes and get guys out on the mound we certainly need to be able to play defense too as pitchers and then just how valuable it is to continue to keep up with our strength and conditioning what that might look like out of season what that might look like in season and then you know it's not lost on anybody that baseball is a mental game right so i wrapped up my conversation with just how serious we need to be about our mental preparation and our ability to slow the game down and keep ourselves under control and make sure we're the ones in charge when we're on the mound. Especially as a pitcher, I say to guys all the time, the game doesn't happen until we tell it to. So we have to make sure we're mentally tough enough and mentally strong enough to stay in control when we're in control, get back in control when things might not go our way, and just maintain an even keel while we're on the mound so that we give ourselves the best position to succeed physically if we're in the best state mentally. I wrapped up the conversation with some talk about recruiting. So for you guys that are in high school now, I think that last piece might be pretty valuable to you. And without further ado, I'm going to let you guys get into it. So here's my talk about pitching with the Phillies RBI program from right around Thanksgiving last year. I hope you guys enjoy. How's everybody doing? I'm really excited to be here talking with you guys. Um, young coach right now at the beginning of my coaching career. So it's a, uh, it's a really cool opportunity for me to be here and to talk with you guys. And uh, I'm excited to, to share some of the stuff I've learned um, coming up through very similar shoes that um, all you guys listening have been in. So um, yeah, a little bit about my background. Currently I'm, as Justin said, the grad assistant, the pitching coach at Rutgers university, Newark um, secondary i guess campus of rutgers university we play d3 baseball in the njac the new jersey athletic conference um pretty competitive conference within uh within division three a lot of good baseball goes on there we have a lot of teams in our in our conference that are you know competing prominently on the national level every year so um myself and the rest of our staff have been tasked with kind of bringing our guys up to that level as well um as far as how i got here i got a slide uh later on that that uh, I'll show you guys, take you through that a little bit. But I grew up in New Jersey um, from North Brunswick, right in, uh, right in the middle of the state. Went to North Brunswick Township High School. I was uh, player of the year in my conference in 2015. Um, after that, I got a scholarship to go play Big Ten baseball at Rutgers University in New Brunswick. I grew up a Rutgers fan. I was, uh, I was a bat boy for the team growing up. My dad has worked for the team there since 2001. So when I got that scholarship offer, it was just a dream come true. I knew right away that that was where I was going to end up. So I played five years there because of COVID. I was a uh, I was a captain on the team my original senior year and then my fifth year. And then um, I graduated in the spring of 2021. I got a call from Coach Connor Cortman at Rutgers Newark asking if I wanted to continue my education and uh, be the pitching coach for 
the Scarlet Raiders up there in Newark, and it was just an opportunity that I couldn't turn down. So uh, that brings us to today. On top of coaching that college team, I also give lessons and coach a travel team at the Baseball Warehouse. It's a local facility here in Middlesex County. We have we pull kids from all over the state, but uh, we're located in Highland Park, New Jersey. So that's kind of the full scope of my baseball career and uh, brings us up to tonight where, again, I'm real thankful and uh, excited for the opportunity to talk to you guys. So that being said, I'm ready to dive right into it here. Um, this first slide, just kind of a roadmap of what we're going to go through. I know there's a lot of bullet points up there, but I wanted to give you guys an outlook on uh, where we're going to go. And I tried to squeeze everything in there. So like I said, the next slide is just a little bit about my background. I'll show you guys some pictures of me playing throughout the years. Um, we're going to start off with grips. It's the, it's always the first thing that guys ask me. They want to know how am I supposed to hold my fastball, my changeup, my slider, my curveball. So that'll kind of be the ground floor for us and our jumping off point. After that, um, my favorite part of the pitching routine is the activation part, making sure our bodies get ready to go. So we'll talk about activation, all the bands, all the plyo ball stuff, making sure that we're, uh, we're at top shape by the time we get on the mound. Um, next is, you know, probably the part that you guys are most excited for the throwing portion, the pitching portion. Um, that's our job when we get on the mound. So that's going to be the bulk of the conversation. And then where do we go from there? Right. We can't spend all of our time pitching, like how hitters spend all of their time in the batting cage. So we got to figure out how to bide our time when we get off the mound, after our work is done on the field, what do we do to make sure we're recovered? What do we do to make sure we're prepared for the next time we get up there? And, you know, how do we get our bodies right? How do we make sure we play defense? So we'll get into, you know, every offshoot of the game. I'm going to try to touch on from a pitcher's perspective. Um, I also wanted to give you guys some information about what strength and conditioning looks like. Um, I've been through it as a high school player. I've been through it as a college player, and now I get to see it from the coaching angle. So it's been pretty cool for me to combine all of those and see how beneficial that kind of stuff can be for a player. And then how I try to apply it to my guys on my pitching staff that I'm responsible for now. Um, we're going to finish up with some stuff on the mental game. That stuff's really important, especially as a pitcher. Um, and then I'd love to talk to you guys at the end about what we do video wise, how we track our pitchers progress, and then give you guys a little taste of what we, uh, we look for at Rutgers Newark when it comes to recruiting. Um, because, you know, if you guys have enough passion for the game to be on this call tonight, I'm assuming you're interested in playing at the next level. So I'll give you a little, uh, insight into how you can, um, benefit yourself the best into making that a reality for yourselves. All right. I don't, my slide isn't changing here. We've gone too far. Excuse me for that mix up. So here's me. Here's my background. I ran through it for you guys already. This first picture on the top, that's me pitching in high school back when I had really long hair and I thought that was a cool look. Um, just to the right of that, that's me pitching down in Miami at the U uh, for Rutgers. That picture was taken my senior year right before COVID first hit. So all was, uh, all was still well with the world then. And it's, uh, it's good to see that we're starting to trend back in that direction these days. Um, real happy to be on the baseball field there competing for, uh, for the school that gave me an opportunity to play in college. Uh, immediately after that, even while I was still playing at Rutgers, I jumped on with the baseball warehouse, the local facility that I grew up uh, playing for when I was in high school. That was my team that helped me get recruited. 
And uh, so down there somewhere on the left side, I think that's my head right about there. If you guys can see my cursor, um, those are all of our guys. It's everybody in our organization at the baseball warehouse. We took that uh, this past fall, right as our season came to an end. And this picture on the bottom right was taken just a couple months ago at our media day for Rutgers Newark. So those are my new threads and uh, my current threads. So as I alluded to before, we're gonna start off with our grips. Um, fastballs and changeups are a really good jumping off point here. So as you can see in the bullet points, the first thing I like to say to players is we have to give the ball different information to make it do something different before it comes out of our hand. So the example I always give in words is we wanna grip our fastball hard so that we can throw our fastball hard. We wanna grip our changeup soft because we want to throw the pitch softer. So what I'd like to do with my guys, I have a ball here, if you guys can see it, right? When I hold my fastball, I'll tell my guys, right? Don't let me pull it out of your hand when I come by. And then I have them switch to their changeup grip, right? Whatever that might be. I have them switch to it and I tell them, think of it like you're doing an egg toss or like you're playing a water balloon toss where we still have to get a hold on that water balloon. We still have to get a hold on that egg. But if we grip it too tight, we're going to crush it. That water balloon's going to pop that egg's going to burst, and then we make a mess. So when we hold our change up, I go up to those guys and I say, all right, let me pull it out of your hand. And it should be just that gentle, right? So that's a, that's a really good starting point when it comes to how do I hold my fastball? How do I hold my change up? Grip pressure, however, isn't usually something that guys ask me about when they're talking about fastball change up grips. So obviously we have our four seam fastballs. Quick one there is we want the ball to make the letter C. And we grip it across that. That gives you your four seam, your two seam. We like to train tracks inside them, on top of them, outside them. Any of those three will work for your two seam fastball. When it comes to the changeup, comfort is my biggest talking point. Comfort is what I stress to my guys. I went through my pitching career with more changeup grips than I could count. And it was always a pitch that I relied upon. I would have a couple of weeks where I didn't like what my changeup was doing. Maybe I lost some command on it. Maybe the velo was a little bit different. So I switched it up. It's a pitch where as long as the spin is going the way you're picturing it in your head, that's what's important. So I like to tell my high school guys, I try to joke around with them a little bit and say, if your high school coach tells you to grip your changeup this specific way, and that's the way you have to do it, you nod your head, you say, yes, coach, you'd be respectful. And then you go back to the grip that's comfortable once it's in the glove and he can't see it anymore. Um, bottom line of that fastball changeup grip difference is if you're uncomfortable with the grip when it's in your hand, I don't know if I'm convinced you're going to be comfortable with it coming out of your hand. When it comes out of our hand, that's when we execute our pitches. So we want to make sure when we're in the glove, when we're up here, that we're comfortable with that grip. As long as we keep that difference Gripping it tight with our fastball, gripping it loose with our changeup, our results should be, the velo difference should be right around the spot that we want it to be. When it comes to the breaking ball, it's much of the same. The comfort level is really important to me, but this is where I like to start talking about the seams. So slider, curveball, slurve, whatever breaking ball you guys throw, it all really works the same. I talk a ton about what this thumb does underneath the ball. Some guys will get that spiked grip. Some guys will put their fingers together. Some guys talk about finger pressure. It's the same as our changeup in that there's no right or wrong way to do it. What's comfortable to you guys is the important part, and that comes at the individual level. But 
when we have command issues with our breaking ball, a fun thing that we can do and an easy solution we have is to just move our thumb up and down this seam at the bottom of the ball. If you're cutting it a little bit, you might want to move it one way. If you're, if it's, you know, diving back over the plate on you, you might want to move it the other way. But I've seen a lot of guys struggle with breaking ball command and they come up to me and they say, coach, what do I do about this? How do I fix it? I don't know what's going on. That's usually the advice that I give them. Try to move where your thumb is on the ball, see what that does for you and adjust accordingly. If the mistake gets worse, move your thumb the other way. If the mistake gets better, maybe keep it there. Maybe keep inching that adjustment a little bit further down the seam. Use it to your advantage. Last point I want to make on, uh, on grips is the seams are your friend. So there's a bunch of guys who when they want to throw their two seam fastball, they get really tight between the seams and then their thumb is off the seams on the ball on the bottom. I've seen guys throw their change up where none of the pads of their fingers are on any of the seams. The tough part about that is when the ball comes out of your hand, we need something to push off of. We need to tell it where to go. Pushing off of the leather is usually the way we're going to start feeling that ball slipping out of our hand. Instead of us telling it where to go, the ball's telling us where it wants to go. As a pitcher, I'd rather be in control of where my ball's going, especially with how important command is. Having my fingers on the seams is usually a surefire way to make sure I'm the one in control of where that ball's headed. Activation. So as I alluded to in the beginning, this is my favorite part of the pitching process. I think preparation is really important. Um, as I have in the beginning listed up there, we need to warm up to throw. We can't throw to warm up. So many times, especially throughout youth and high school baseball, I know I experienced guys who got to the field, they pulled the ball out of the bucket, and they said, let's go warm up. The more advanced I've moved up through the levels, the more advanced baseball I've seen, how we prepare ourselves to even go pick that ball up out of the bucket seems to me to be the most important part of our routine as a pitcher. Routine is a word you're going to see me say a lot throughout this presentation because it, it means a lot to me. And I think it's a really good way to make sure we're at a point where we need to be and we're confident in our process from start to finish. So the stre your stretching routine is really important. Our guys at Newark, we get to practice. We do a breathing routine. Then we do a team stretch. Then we do a team meeting where we talk for a couple minutes, make sure we know the practice plan for today. And then when I take the pictures after that team segment, we go back into our own stretching routine. So what I need as a pitcher is probably different than what my teammate needs as a shortstop or an outfielder or a catcher. I need to make sure whatever pieces of my body I didn't hit in that team stretch, I have a routine crafted to my personal needs. So just as how, like what my shortstop teammate might not have needed is the same thing that I might need. What I need as a left-handed relief pitcher might be different than what my right-handed starting pitcher teammate needs. And my body feels a lot different than him if I'm six foot five and he's five foot 10. Doesn't mean our abilities are different. It just means our preparation has to look different so that if I'm a shoulder soreness guy and he's a forearm soreness guy, we can make sure we have routines that we're able to do that get us back to that same starting point by the time we go pick up that ball. After we do our stretches, we have a little racquetball court in, uh, in our athletic center at Newark with some hooks clipped onto the wall. We go in there, we take our bands, we do our work there. I have a packet that I give our guys. If you guys were to Google um, Kaiser band routine, 
K-E-I-S-E-R band routine. They have a really cool thing that uh, works with whatever kind of elastic band resistance band you have. It's a routine that I give to our guys as a starting point, as a foundation. And then similar to our stretching routine, I tell them whatever additional stuff you need, make sure we get in. That way, when it comes down to, you know, when it comes time to pick up that ball, we're all, our bodies are set, our bodies are right, and we're ready to, we don't have to shake off any of the rust once we pick up that ball. We're ready to go. We're primed. We got a little sweat going. After the band routine, we pick up the plyo balls, which seems to be a hot topic these days. Everybody wants to throw the plyo balls. Everybody wants to measure their velo. Awesome. If we can throw the ball hard, I'm all for it. Don't take me to be against it. They're also a really good tool to use to make sure our bodies are in the right position to go pick up that ball and get thrown with the normal five ounce baseball that we use in a game. Individualize your additions is something I've said throughout this process. There's a hundred thousand different plyo ball drills. It seems like the ones that I make sure our guys do at Newark every day are the walking windups, the pivot picks and the reverse throws. Um, Unfortunately, I don't have the plyo balls or the wall space to show you guys what those look like right here. It's a Google search away. Those are three that I incorporate with my guys every single day. There's a bunch more that you guys can look up, try them out. And like I've said, individualize your additions. If there's things you like, if one of those three or all three of those three you don't like, personalize it to what you need. Make sure you feel good. And then when it comes time to pick up that ball and get to throwing, we're ready to go and we're off to the races. The picture I have here is just a little taste for you guys of what our practice plan looks like at Rutgers Newark every day. I have our guys broken down into a couple groups. This is actually a screenshot of today's practice plan from this afternoon. Um, the first group is those guys that are more of the starter type role. The middle group in yellow is the guys that are like those long relief types that can fill in for us three, four innings if the starter gets bounced around a little bit. Then the guys in blue, they are the back end of the bullpen guys, the guys that come and shut it down for us at the end of the games. The rest of those guys, a couple of them are injured. The guys in orange are um, two-way players for us. So everybody's on a little bit different of a plan, but that's what I wanted to touch on for you guys, that they have that arm care and conditioning segment listed there. The stuff that leads us up to our throwing, the stuff that gets us to where we need to be has to – has a prominent enough role that it's put into our practice plan for these guys to see the second they get into the gym, the second they get to the field before practice every day. Hopefully I can get the next slide to come up here. There we go. All right. So finally we're at the throwing, right? And like I said, routine is really important to me. I think you know, making sure your entire body is ready to pitch by the time you pick up that baseball. So when it comes to the throwing portion, I like to get that build up so that we know where we're at for that day by the time we get on the mound. Obviously, as pitchers, there's warmups that happen before we get to go throw in a game to a batter. So our preparation, our self-critique, our feedback, are our keys to successes by the time we get on the mound. Some days we don't have our best day on the mound. Some days we have a great day on the mound. What I like to tell the guys quick and easy, when we're having a great day on the mound, we're going to be able to tell that in our warm-up session. 
as soon as I pick up the ball from about 40 feet away, when I'm doing my flips, I'm going to know that I have the makings of a good day going. If it goes the other way and I feel like through my warm-up routine, maybe my arm doesn't feel its best. Maybe my command's not there. Maybe my spin isn't where I like to have it or where it typically is. That's where we need to understand our body and figure out what our results mean to us. So too many times I've seen pitchers who, and I'm guilty of it myself, throw a pitch we don't like, we grab the ball, we get back up on the mound, and we hope the next one's better. If we can execute a throwing routine really well, we're going to mitigate those types of mistakes where I'm confused up on the mound and I'm looking for somebody else to give me the answers about what's going on. Um, Eric, if I can just jump in real quick. Yeah, of course. Um, that the, the word routine, everyone in here probably has heard every single week, every session that we've done, uh, even since week one when it comes to hitting. Even last or two weeks ago when we talked about outfield, there's, there's different routines that we have to do. And just like Coach Eric said, it's for when we fail and it's kind of how we get back to where we need to be. It's without pressing. Um, so when you have your routine, whether things are perfect or they're really bad, if you just stick to that routine, you will get your back, you will get yourself back to where you got to be. Um, but just that word routine, you'll, you'll continue to see, you'll continue to hear. Um, and the quicker you guys find your routine, the better off you guys will be. Yeah. Thanks, Justin. I mean, it's, it's a great, it's a great point. It's definitely something that deserves reiterating because, you know, I'm glad to hear that the other guys from the other positions and the other, uh, the other talks have, have harped on that as well. Um, the way I like to think about it is even if I'm not feeling my best, I want to look like I'm at my best. So the way I relate it to like recruiting or scouting is if I'm a high school kid and I'm on the freshman team or the JV team and my varsity coach comes to watch me play and all he gets to stay for is my warm up, and I look like I know what I'm doing on the ball field. Now I stick out to that varsity coach. I go around and I recruit high school kids for Rutgers Newark. If I go to a field and I see a guy go there and pick up the ball and throw it as far as he can 10 times and then say he's good and go back to the dugout, maybe he is, but now he has something more to prove to me. But if I see a guy who has a routine, who's on the field and looks like he has a plan, now it's like, okay, even if I wasn't here to watch this guy, he's sticking out in my brain because he comes to the field prepared. He knows what he's doing. He has, he has that pace. He knows where his body's at. Um, understanding your results is a point of pitching. That's really important to me. It's about self-awareness. So the way I like to relate it is a lot of coaches will say, how we get there is the important part. It doesn't matter that we did. So essentially, if I want to deliver an inside fastball for a strike at the knees, how I get there with my body is more important, is more important than if I got there. A lot of that is true, but I like to focus on the end of what happens when we don't. So if I'm trying to throw a down and inside fastball and I miss up and away, well, what does that tell me? I don't have the answer. It's not a secret potion that I can give you guys, but what we can start to do once we develop a routine, we're going to be able to feel when we're good and when our command is on. And then the mistakes that we make, the things that go wrong are going to be glaring because you're going to be able to feel my body wasn't in the right position there. When I do this same thing every day, this is what it normally feels like. And I normally put the ball down at the knees on the glove side. Now, I must have done something wrong because my body didn't feel right. And that pitch I normally put down to the glove side is up to the arm side. What does that mean to me? 
How do I fix it? And then when it's part of my throwing routine, I've already taken care of that mistake before I even get to the mound and throw to a batter. Just as the slide changes here, this guy in the bottom right is not just some random picture I picked off Google. Um, this guy is, that's my favorite pitcher on the planet. That's my younger brother. His name's Danny. He's, uh, I'm lucky enough that I get to coach him up at Rutgers Newark. He's a guy that I don't know why, because the whole time growing up, he never listened to me. But nowadays, he's fully bought into the routine mentality. He works really hard. So I thought I'd give him a little cameo on my presentation tonight. The throwing portion continued. We have our daily routine now. We've worked out, these are the things I'm gonna do Monday. These are the things I'm gonna do Tuesday. I'm gonna carry over into every single day of the week so that I can make sure I know what my body feels like when it's right. And then I can catch my mistakes when I'm wrong. We have to now develop that into a weekly routine. Like I referenced earlier, we can't hit every day the same way the hitters do. We can't throw 100 pitches every day the way those guys take 100 swings. How do we optimize our time on a day-to-day -day basis so that we're prepared when it comes time to get up on the mound and make our start? Or if we play on the weekends, we play one game or two games a weekend like most of you guys do in high school, I'm sure. How are we prepared to get there in the best way possible? So this is what our throwing schedule looks like for our guys at Rutgers Newark. Live days at the top, it's the most important day of the week. We got to make sure when we're throwing to hitters that we get our job done. How do we prepare for that? We start from kind of the bottom up. The day after your live day is a light day. We have a plyo recovery routine that we do. I give the guys the option to be off. I'm more of a fan of keeping the arm moving, but that's me personally. Again, if these guys have their own um, routine, that feels good for them. It's okay if they want to be off that day. It's a really light recovery type day. We build that up two days after into a stretch toss, which is just air underneath the baseball, minimal effort on your throws, get the arm moving again, get everything stretched out, shake out any of that lactic acid or whatever the scientific term is for it. Make sure the arm gets back to full speed. Long toss the next day. We've gone from the recovery phase into the building back the strength phase in time for our next appearance on the mound. We got to get, we got to start pulling that ball down. We got to feel the velo. We got to feel that thing coming out of our hand, nice and firm, give ourselves a little pat on the back because we do it five feet further this week than we did last week, building that confidence back up, building that arm strength back up. So we're not sore the next time we get up on the mound. The day after that purpose toss. Um, I like this the best. It's a term that I learned in when I was pitching in college, my last two years, um, we can't just anticipate that we can get up, we can throw fastballs playing catch all week and then get up on the mound and throw changeups and breaking balls for strikes in all of our counts when we want to, the way we want to. Purpose toss is essentially another stretch toss type of day with a little higher effort level, throwing that ball a little bit harder on the way back in. We work our change-ups from distance so we can really feel that spin. Plus, one thing every single coach at every level of baseball knows and repeats millions of times is don't slow your arm down on your change-up. So if I want to throw that change-up with the same aggression on the mound, I have to throw it with some aggression when I'm playing catch on flat ground. I do that by throwing it from 75 feet instead of from 60 feet off the mound. Vice versa, the flip side of that coin is 45 feet with my breaking ball. The way I describe this is 
it's really difficult to create sharp breaking ball spin from short distances. It's a little bit easier to create it from further distances. So if my neutral distance is the 60 feet I throw off the mound, if I can create the same sharp, solid spin on my breaking ball from 45 feet, it's essentially equivalent to using a bat weight as a hitter. I make my bat feel heavier when I'm on deck. So when I get up to the plate, I take that thing off. My bat feels light. My bat speed picks up. If I can create good breaking ball spin in a shorter window, that's a difficult thing to execute. So then when I get up on the mound and I have 15 more feet compared to 45 feet to let that ball spin and let it break, now I've made my job easier because I was able to execute it short. Now I can execute it really well back at neutral. We mix in a short box. I don't love to do pitches from flat ground. I like to get the guys elevated up on that surface. Two days before their live outing, they throw 10 to 15 pitches, touch and feel, 50 feet off of a mound to a catcher. We work that into a pen type setting. Again, pen before the live day seems a little weird, but when we work it into our routine, routine this way, the biggest struggle a lot of times with pitchers is getting through the first inning, getting settled into a game. I like to tell my guys, if we can throw that first inning of the game the day before, I've worked out all the jitters, right? The same way we talk about fixing our mistakes, playing catch before we get up on the mound. If, my, if I can fix my mistakes and feel my body out the day before in a really short 15-pitch set, my arm isn't taxed. I go to bed. I sleep well that night knowing I've fixed my mistakes. And when I get back up to that live day the next day, I'm ready to go. All pistons are firing and my mindset is good too. So like this last bullet point says, we want to keep our body in a rhythm. Just as we repeat our daily routine to make sure our body's in the right place and we can pick out anything that's going wrong. Once my body gets on this rhythm, when I do these steps each week, my body's going to know that tomorrow's live day. My body's going to know that tomorrow's my long toss day and I got to pick up the effort. And when I fall into that rhythm, it's one less thing for me to worry about. I don't have to figure out what I need to get prepared. My body is just on the treadmill and it knows without me telling it where I'm at in the routine, what comes next. This is kind of uh, an example for you guys to look at. So on the right here is Marcus. He's probably our number one pitcher on the staff. It still remains to be seen with a couple of weeks before our season starts. He's on his bullpen day in this video. To, uh, to the left here is Alex. It might be to the right on your screen, but the guy with the PVC pipe, that's Alex. He's one of our shorter relievers, our middle reliever guys. He was on his light recovery day. He had thrown live the previous day. So he's doing some mechanical work. Um, this is pretty much to say that everything I'm telling you is truthful. Um, I actually keep these guys on some different routines throughout the week. And we have a pretty cool setup at Newark where we're able to get our drill work done and our mechanical stuff done while uh, another group of the guys is able to throw their bullpens and get their, their prep days in at the same time. So just a short video, like I said, kind of show you guys what it looks like and how we can execute this plan with different guys being on different routines. How does it apply to you? 
you guys are going to have a couple different games in a week in your high school season. You don't have to stay on pace with your throwing partner. You don't have to stay on pace with your teammate because he might be pitching on a different day than you are. We can both get our work done at the same time, right next to each other. We can still be friends. We can still get along and execute our routine at our pace the way it's needed for us. So off of that, we talked a lot about throwing, but we're not throwers, we're pitchers. There's three big pillars that we work on every day. I build into my practice plan every day that makes us a pitcher instead of just a thrower. PFPs are number one. The best advice I've ever gotten on PFPs, when we get up on the mound, we like to think about strikeouts. We like to think about executing pitches. We like to think about our grips. We like to think about our velo. When hitters hit balls back to the pitcher, they have already cashed it in. They already think they're out. Most of you guys in high school, I'm sure, still hit. When you hit a ground ball back to the pitcher, it's not a good feeling running down that baseline. That being said, I can't tell you how many of our guys still, regardless of my drill work, will mess up PFPs. As a pitcher, I've been on that side of it where there's a lot of pressure. That ball gets hit back to you. We're locked in on throwing the ball to the plate all day long, and now I have to turn my feet real quick and make a throw to first. That advice should reign true in your head. The hitter already thinks he's out, so we have to take the free outs. If we get those reps in practice, it just becomes muscle memory. The same way we work on throwing to the plate every day, the same way we work on our change-ups and our breaking balls – we have to work on PFPs. I make sure my guys get them done every single day. So that way, at least when something bad happens in the game, if something bad happens in the game, hopefully never. But if it does, at least we were prepared. At least we know that these type of things are muscle memory and the mistakes are going to be few and far between. Sometimes we give up home runs. Sometimes we're going to make errors. It happens, but we should not be in a position where we're up there on the mound thinking, I hope somebody doesn't hit the ball back to me because as a hitter, their mentality is I'm already out. This guy's going to make the throw to first. Our job as pitchers is to just make sure that his wish comes true as he spikes his bat into the ground and jogs down the baseline in frustration. Um, and, you know, the PFP pillar is pictured down here with Joe Blanton getting over to cover first on a ground ball. Um, fundamentals is the second one. People think fundamentals, and then you guys are going to look down and see that I have mechanics there, and you're probably asking, well, what's the difference? Fundamentals to me, one of the best quotes I've ever heard is, we have to make sure we know what we're doing with the ball before the play happens. Know what you're going to do with the ball before the play occurs. Granted, you get the sign from the catcher, you know what pitch you're throwing, but we have to be able to take into account who's on base, where are they on base, how many outs are there, What's the count? The good thing about being a pitcher is the game can't happen until we tell it to. So there's a bunch of times as hitters, you see guys get into the box and they're holding their hand up, asking the umpire for time because they're rushed because the pitcher's going 100 miles an hour. If we can use that to our advantage, that's great. But we're not at that same detriment that the hitter is. The game doesn't happen until I throw my pitch. So if I have a checklist in my head, what mechanical adjustment do I need to make? How many runners are on base? Which bases are they on? What's the count? 
I answer all those questions. I check off all the boxes on my checklist. I take my deep breath. Now I'm ready to tow the rubber. I used to love seeing how long I could take between pitches to make sure I was ready to go by the time I got up there. Some of your coaches might get upset at you about that. I kind of live for it. I challenge my guys to see who can take the longest between pitches before somebody tells them to get on the rubber. I'm not necessarily recommending that. However, it is completely necessary to make sure we go through that entire checklist so that we play the game and the game doesn't play us and we end up in a bad situation. That idea is shown down here by the late, great Jose Fernandez. I tried to make everything on here Phillies guys. I figured Fernandez could be an exception given his story. But you guys can see in this gif, he feels the ball down the third baseline. The runner thinks he's got him beat on the pump fake. Fernandez turns around and tags him out. The guy's throwing 97 miles an hour, up to 100 miles an hour. He's going full speed at that ball. He makes the play, and he still has the awareness to know that that runner is going to try to cheat that run home. I can't be convinced that that's something that he thought about in the time it took him to go from the mound to the ball. I have to imagine he went through that checklist in his head and he said, okay, give me the opportunity to pump fake this guy and end up on top plays on sports center tomorrow morning. That type of situational awareness is what's going to be important when we're on the mound. It slows the game down. It makes our job easier. When it comes to mechanics, I go back to another quote that I love. Repetition is the key to learning. There's a couple of things I want to break down for you guys. I got a couple notes here that I just want to go through. I left it to one bullet point. I'd rather talk about it. There's two really important parts of our body that mechanics should be stressed. Our back leg, that's where all our power is, and our head, specifically our eyes. So the mechanical stuff I work on, as you guys could see in that video in the previous slide with Alex, how do we get in our back leg? How do we stay in our leg? What do we do with our back knee? What that drill with the PVC pipe is teaching him, essentially the pipe is acting as a third leg. It's acting as support for him because we could do those drills with both feet on the ground, but then we can't simulate our leg lift. So we want to have some support in our leg lift. Without having Pictures up here to reference for you guys. I left Aaron Nola up there because he does a really good job of it. So you can go through that video a hundred times as I have and kind of break him down. Our head, our back knee, and our foot, if we freeze frame at our lift just before we start trending towards home plate, should be in a straight line. A good analogy is if I drilled a hole and put a pole from the cap of your hat down through your back heel so we could just swivel around it, it should look exactly the same as it does when we move naturally without the pole down the backside of our body. Our back knee comes off of that. That's our next move. Keeping our weight in our back leg is really important. So when we're in that straight line, when our front foot comes off the ground, we want to think about pushing into the ground with our back foot. We can't leave any of our weight hanging forward. The Talking point I use for guys on that is drill a hole in the ground where your back foot is. When you're in front of the rubber, those high school mounds, a lot of them are dug out anyway. Dig that hole deeper. Push your foot into the ground as hard as you can. Keep all that weight on that backside. Since we only have one foot in the ground, we might as well be stable on it. As we get down the mound and we sit in that back leg, we're going to know we're maintaining the weight back there. If our back knee, if I'm left-handed, 
points to the second baseman. If I'm right-handed, that back knee is going to point to the shortstop. That's going to let us know that I'm sitting on that back leg, maintaining that weight instead of that weight collapsing me and pushing me the other way. So if that knee points down on my stride, the weight is moving me. If that knee points out on our stride, I am moving the weight. After that, we have to throw the ball, right? One step in the middle is our land. A really good analogy I heard, I'm not sure if you guys know who Mozart and Metallica are, probably Mozart. I don't know if I'm dating myself with Metallica here. On our way up through our leg lift and stride, we want to think Mozart, slow, smooth, relaxed, classical music. As soon as our front foot hits the ground, we need to think Metallica, heavy metal, screaming, head bobbing, hair on fire. I'm doing nothing except moving as fast as I can with as much aggression as I can. If we can combine those two pieces, that's where our velo comes from. That's where our command comes from. That's when we know we're moving our body really efficiently. When it comes to throwing the ball, command is also really important. As much as velo is, command is certainly important. We need to throw strikes to be successful. We got to use our eyes. We got to use our eyes. On our fastball, it's pretty simple. It should go straight. If I want to throw the ball down the middle of the plate, I look down the middle of the plate. That's where the ball goes. When it comes to our off-speed pitches, my changeup should break back to my arm side. My breaking ball should break across the plate to my glove side. We have our plates at Rutgers Newark set up so that the left side, if I'm looking at it as a pitcher, is painted red. The middle is white. The right side, if I'm looking at it, is blue. My recommendation typically across the board is if I'm throwing a changeup and I want it to be to my arm side, I shift my eyes over one third of the plate to the glove side so that I start the pitch down the middle and it finishes where I want it to finish. It finishes where I want the catcher to catch it vice versa with my breaking ball. If I want that to finish on the corner of my glove side, I move my eyes one third of the plate over so that that pitch starts middle, finishes glove side. It sounds like a lot of words. An easy way to think about it is when we throw our pitches, our eyes should be middle, middle all of the time. As soon as my foot comes off the ground, my eyes go to that catcher's mitt. I want to throw double play pitches. I don't want to throw strikeout pitches give myself the whole strike zone to work with, utilize as big a margin of error as I can. If I throw that ball down the middle and I gave it the right information with my grip, I'd use the right mechanics on my back leg. I went Mozart to Metallica. By the time I release, that changeup's going to turn over and finish on that arm side where I want. That curveball is going to break and end up on the glove side right where I want it to, just using the middle of the plate. One last piece on that is when it comes to making adjustments, if I'm missing arm side, using a visual target a little more to the glove side will most likely help me get there and vice versa. If I'm a little bit glove side on my misses, look a little to the arm side, that can help me get that pitch back where I want it. Same thing works for up and down. Our eyes are a very underutilized tool as pitchers when we think about how we're moving our body, keeping our weight in certain places, moving as fast as we can to try to generate the velo we look for. Mental game is really important. These are two of my favorite books. Um, reading isn't everybody's favorite thing. The cool thing about the mental ABCs of pitching, it's about a paragraph, a chapter. 
I went through this book throughout my time in college, whatever topic was on my brain that week, that's the one I read and I didn't pick it up again. Every Monday I went in there, I picked a topic, looked it over, kind of processed it my own way, put it back in my locker and didn't think about it for the rest of the week. Really easy to get through. Jamie Moyer, Phillies legend, won a World Series with the Phillies in 2008. Um, one of you guys had submitted a question about what's more important, accuracy or velo. Um, Jamie Moyer was throwing 10 to 12 miles an hour slower throughout his entire big league career than everybody else in the league. He found a way to be successful. Thankfully for us, he turned around and wrote this book about his battle with the mental portion of the game. If you have an opportunity to read it, it's the first book I recommend to everybody, baseball, uh, baseball wise or not. Oh, let me go back here. Um, interpreting your results, knowing your adjustment, using your eyes, use your cues. Those are all things that we touched on in the mechanical piece a, a slide ago. Um, have that routine, know what your body tells you and understand how that's a mental weapon too. If I'm up on the mound and I don't know where I'm at and I don't know what my mistakes are, or what's causing them, the game speeds up. First bullet point I have here is slow the game down. If I can listen to my body, if I know what it's telling me, interpret that information, know my adjustments, and then execute those adjustments based on information I've had before from that routine, I know exactly where I'm at. If I miss down to the glove side, I've built my routine in such a way that I know what my body's telling me. I know why I ended up there. It's not the result I want, but now I have the solution. So instead of being on the mound with the definition of insanity type thing, trying the same thing again and again, hoping for a better result, now I know this didn't turn out the way I wanted it to, but at least I have this information. I've seen this situation before. I can fix that mistake. One of my pitching coaches throughout college told me, one bad pitch is okay so long as we learn from it for the next one. Once we get to 2-0, 3-0, four balls in a row, now we have an issue. All we need is to slow the game down, go through that checklist, take that breath, make sure we get back to where we need to be. There's no need to be in a rush. Like we said, the game doesn't happen until we tell it to. There's a couple things I want to touch on at the bottom here that helped me get there. I was a big grab the ball, get back up. Okay, I got to stay in my back leg, whatever. I relied on these cues as superstition. How do we get away from that? How do we help them? How do we allow them to help us? Find your center seems like a really strange thing to say. What does that mean? I read this study when I was in high school about a professional tennis player who drew a smiley face on his racket. And before every serve, he'd look down at the smiley face just for some good vibes. Uh, if you ever go back and find video, maybe on some Big Ten archives of me pitching in college, before I came set every pitch, I would outstretch my arm and look at my glove. I had drawn a little smiley face on my glove. I'd take a deep breath. I'd look at the smiley face and then I knew I was ready to go built it into part of my routine. In Jamie Moyer's book, he talks a lot about that. He says that as soon as he got to the ballpark, whatever park they were playing at that series, he would pick out a sign on the, uh, on the mezzanine. And he would say, before every pitch, I'm going to take my deep breath. I'm going to look at that sign. That's going to be my center, my mental cue to know I'm back ready to go. There's any number of ways you can do it. And it sounds trivial. It sounds like a little kid thing to do, but if we can hit that reset button and get back to a good starting point, it's one less thing for us to worry about. It's a little hit the brake pedal, give us a reset. Let's go to the next pitch. Separate the pitches. My first one went over the batter's head. 
but I can see that smiley face on my glove. I can look at that sign in the bleachers and know that now I'm good. It's just another piece that can help us. Positive self-talk is another big one. I left it last intentionally because I think it's the most important. There is a huge difference when we're on the mound, especially in a tight situation to say, I hope I don't walk them. I hope I don't throw a ball. I hope I don't give up a hit compared to this guy doesn't stand a chance against me. I'm going to throw a strike at the bottom of the zone and there's no way I don't get out of this. Your brain is only going to hear the ball, the hit, the walk. So if we change that to strike out and strike out, our game switches just because we use different words in our head. If we can maximize our ability before we have to do anything physically, we're giving ourselves a leg up before we even step onto the field, before we even tow the rubber. Use the mental game as your advantage competitively. Don't think the self-talk and these mental cues are, so, are like a crutch to help you get over deficiencies. They are things that we can have in our back pocket. It's a wild card. It's an ace in the hole, whatever analogy you want to throw in there, whatever metaphor. These types of things can give us an advantage before anything physically happens. So if I can get ahead on the batter before he steps in the box, before I step on the mound, why not? And if all I have to do is give myself a little pat on the back and say, let's throw a strike right here, man, if that's all it takes to get a leg up on the guy, I think, uh, I think I'd take that option every time. And I know I certainly recommend it to the guys I coach as well. Yeah, Eric, I can add in on, on uh, the hitting side of that as well. Um, I remember my first at bat in fall season, my freshman year of college, I went up, we were facing an out-of-conference team, and it was the reliever of the year. He was a lefty, and I was a lefty hitter. And I remember walking up to the plate, and the only thing I was thinking was, I really hope I don't strike out. And I went and I struck out on three pitches. And from that moment on, I learned about, you know, through my coaches and the upperclassmen about the importance of positive self-talk and how much it can affect you. And I used it for the rest of my career. And I can pinpoint a couple of at-bats later on in my career where the reliever or starter was very, very good. It was a big situation. I was, as I was walking up to the plate, I was talking in my head this guy's not better than me. I'm not letting him get me out. And I got a hit and I came through and it's, so I definitely want to emphasize that it's, it might sound funny, but it is so, so important. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. And it's just, it's awesome for me to talk to more and more baseball people as I go and hear stories similar to yours, where they say the same thing. Everybody says it where it seems a little funny, but the outcomes always seem to go in that same direction where if I talk to myself positively, good things happen. And when I don't, not so good things happen. I'd rather be on the good things happening side of that. The work's not finished, as we talk about. Just because we threw live doesn't mean our job is done. Where do we go from there? Strength and conditioning is a huge piece of it. Um, first slide, first bullet there, right? What do we think when we hear that? A lot of guys, I feel, just think I got to go run poles and I got to do some curls so that my biceps look good when I go to the beach in the summertime. It's a lot more than that, um, obviously, but I just like, you know, I'd like to expand on that a little bit. The four core lifts we do with our pitchers at Rutgers Newark, squat, split squat, reverse lunge, deadlift. What do you hear there? It's a whole bunch of legs. The easy way to break that down, even though it doesn't sound like too much fun, 
where does our power come from? Hitting or pitching? Our lower half, right? That's a layup of a question. You guys know that answer. We have to make sure we're strong. If you guys want to throw hard, it might seem like I need to get my arm right. If I don't have a good foundation, if I am not strong into the ground, that's an impossibility. So I got to make sure my legs are nice and strong. We get in the weight room with these guys four days a week. They rip those lifts. They do a really good job of it. Off of that, mobility and flexibility are really important. The guy, Marcus, who you guys saw throwing his bullpen in the video before, he, uh, he has this crazy stretching routine that's very individualized to him. He works splits and cartwheels into his stretching routine like he's a gymnast, but he's been as successful as he is because he's found something that allows him to be as mobile and as flexible as possible, which translates to success on the mound. So it goes back to that point, right? What works for you guys might not work for the next guy, but if it translates to your own success, keep on keeping on. How does this apply to us as a pitcher specifically? We have to be able to condition ourselves to execute our job on the mound. Going back to the poles and curls example, on the mound, we don't move this way, we move this way. So training our, like getting big biceps, it looks good and it's fun to do, it's not relevant. Running the poles, much more along the same front. How often do we go at 30% speed for long distances? We don't. Our conditioning work at Newark is short burst, sprints, recovery, repeat. When we're pitching, that's what it is. We take a deep breath. We go through our checklist. We get up on the mound. We throw the ball as hard as we can. And then we do it over and over and over again. Your conditioning work, your, your sprint work should reflect that. That touches on the manner in which we condition, right? We got to make sure we do it the right way, but also make it a part of your routine. If my body knows the day after I pitch, I get after it in the weight room and I squat really heavy and I beat the crap out of my legs. And then I go run some sprints really hard for a longer period of time. I've flushed everything out of my system. I've worked really hard that week. Now let's get on the road to recovery. We build ourselves back up. We go a little bit lighter in the weight room. We build back up. And then the day before we have a little bit of prep work where it's agility, it's mobility, we get after it in the weight room. We do a little fire me up lift, we call it, at Rutgers Newark. The day before game day, the guys have a little bit lighter in there, moving the weight quickly, going fast. Build it into your routine so that your body knows where it's at throughout the week. We're the most prepared we can be when it comes to game day. Try to get this last slide. Just to touch on some video stuff, and then I'll wrap up with the recruiting. Um, an important facet to me is that we can't improve what we can't measure. Videos, metrics, charting, really important. Take videos of yourself doing drills. Take videos of yourself playing catch. Take videos of yourself in your bullpens, in your live days. Compare them. Making sure our routine is sound is knowing what our adjustments are. If we have video, something we can look at. We can pick things out through our pitching that we might need to be a little more specific about, or we can realize the things that we need more work on, both on the mound and on our drill work throughout the week. See how fast you throw. Obviously, below is important. Check your time to the plate. Mix in some leg lifts. Mix in some slide steps. See how my fastball, my changeup, my breaking ball all get to the plate. Measure those times. 
How long does it take you to pick off? What are your times on times to first on PFPs? The more we measure, the more we can improve. And the more things we have to measure, the more you can track your success. Give yourself something to feel good about across the board. Continue to build that confidence. Reassure your mental side of the game. This applies to the weight room. This applies to the bullpen. This applies to live. Guys think charting on live days is necessary. We chart at Newark. We chart everybody's everything. My strike percentage should be above 75% all the time. If I can't execute that in the bullpen, I got to make sure I weed those issues out before I get onto the mound and throw live. Track that in practice so that when we get to the game, we know we're in good standing when we get up there. See how fast you can run. Track your weights in the weight room. Continue your growth in every facet of the game. And then that'll bring me to my last point here. Just touching on recruiting for you guys. Hopefully this uh, slide will turn over. Like, sorry, I apologize. My computer has been a little slow. Um, hopefully you guys are all looking to play baseball at the next level and get through as high as you can go. Right now I'm on the college level. Here's what we look at in our recruiting process. It's a preview of it. Video is hugely beneficial. You can send it out to coaches. You can post it on social media. We look at it all. I know a lot of guys will think that when they post stuff up on press sports, Instagram, Twitter, it falls on deaf ears and nobody really sees it. I promise you, we scour those apps all the time. We want to see you play. And as I have in the little stars there, you don't have to send us the bad ones. If you hit a couple bombs and then you strike out in your last at bat, just send us the homers. Make yourself look good. Build your brand. Social media is your friend in that way. You have a huge audience. Showcases are great. Not as many coaches make it to showcases as are on Twitter, right? It's convenient for you guys. You can post it when you're at home, blast it out to a bunch of people. Don't be afraid to reach out. I think a lot of you guys, a lot of prospects in general, forget that us coaches are just people too. We were all in your shoes once looking for a college scholarship, looking for a team to play for. We are really excited to hear from you. And it says a lot about your character in a positive light when you have the fortitude to reach out, when you kind of get over that fear and get over that hump and you say, hey, coach, here's some video from my game this weekend. The most important pillar here, and I saved this for the last bottom quadrant because it is the most important part of baseball and what we look for, what kind of teammate you are, what kind of guy you are, how you compete. All of this stuff is great. It doesn't mean anything if we go on the field and we're playing for show. We have to get out there and we have to win and we have to execute and we have to play hard. This translates to passion. How much do you love the game? There's a lot of guys that go through baseball that are talented, that are good at it, that don't love it. That's great. Really good for them that they have that talent. The guy that finds a way to craft his abilities through his routine, through his mental game, through his trust in the process, that has the passion and the love for the game so fiery inside of him that he goes out and competes 100% every day. Those are the guys we look for. So that's my call to action here. That's what I push you guys to do. Check off all these boxes like we've talked about. Implement these things into your routine. Drive yourself to be better. Track your progress. Mix all of these things in whichever way is individually uh, successful for you guys. 
And then at the end of it all, once you get through all that stuff, go out on the field, play as hard as you can, act like it means something to you after you've put all that work in to prepare. The next slide is just a thank you and asking for any questions. So as I wrap up here, I can't appreciate, I uh, can't extend my appreciation enough. It's been really cool getting the chance to talk to you guys. And uh, if there's any questions, I'd love to answer them. Yeah, thanks, Eric. And uh, yeah, anyone, please, if you have any questions right now, throw it in the, in the chat and we will answer it. Uh, we did have a few questions that were sent over prior to the session um, that I would like to get your, get your feedback on. Um, you know, in the last few minutes here. Uh, the first question was, we kind of talked about it. Um, what is more important for a high school pitcher, velo or velocity or the ability to throw strikes, right? We look at the major leagues now and we have so many guys throwing 98 to 102. And then, like you said, the Jamie Moyers that were able to, you know, throw pitches where they wanted and were successful too. So as a high school prospect, college prospect, what's, uh, you know, as a recruiter, what's more important for you? The short answer is the ability to throw strikes, um, especially in high school. When you get to college, you're on a lifting program. You have practice every day. You're on a meal plan. You're going to get bigger. You're going to get faster. You're going to get stronger. You're going to fine tune your game. The velo will come. If you're putting strikes in the zone and you're getting batters out at a high clip where the numbers prove it, you're going to get recruited. And then it'll be our responsibility to make sure the velo catches up. Awesome. Um, Next two are, are on the same page as that. Uh, what type of work can improve your accuracy? You know, being able to throw strikes or put the ball where you want. Uh, I think the piece we talked about tonight about using our eyes when we pitch is a really underrated facet of the of pitch. Um, drill work for command is really difficult other than repetition throw five pitches in a row to the glove side, throw five pitches in a row to the arm side, throw five pitches in a row down the middle. Using your eyes, using landmarks on the catcher can help you make those adjustments. You know, if you say for those five pitches, you say you want to throw it at his mask, see what that does for you. Where do those pitches end up? And then adjust accordingly based on where your misses are. Be cognizant of where you're looking, be cognizant of where you're trying to go and then make adjustments accordingly until you get there. Awesome. And then on the flip side, uh, what type of work can improve velocity? The stuff we talked about with the back leg. Um, I'm a huge proponent of it. The more baseball, the more pitching guys I talk to, the more that seems to become true. I like to relate it back to hitting. Um, if we don't get our hips through, if we don't have our power on that back leg, then we can't expect to hit the ball very far. The same holds true when we pitch, more so because we only have one leg in the ground for half of our motion. So if I keep my weight on my back leg, if I do a bunch of drill work and get really good at getting my weight back, keeping my weight back, and then going Mozart to Metallica once that front foot hits, Velo's going up from there. Awesome. Um, or, a question from, from myself is, are you a big uh, advocate on long toss? I know I did that a lot. as I was an infielder, so that helped my arm strength. But, I mean, uh, for pitchers, do you uh, recommend long toss as a way to boost the arm strength? Absolutely. Um, there's some chart that floats around out there in like baseball social media circles that there's supposed to be some translation between how far you can throw the ball and how hard you'll be able to throw it. I haven't quite decided if I'm bought into that yet, but if nothing else, like how far you can throw the ball 
shows you how strong your arm is, but it's also really cool when you see videos of like Jackie Bradley Jr. throwing the ball over the center field fence Mm -hmm. from home plate. So, you know, if nothing else, you can prove to yourself that you have more arm strength by trying to throw the ball further and, you know, your arm strength will improve and it'll look sick if you get a video of it. So it's a (laughs) win-win. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, The next one is if my arm hurts after pitching is ice and running the best thing to do, or are there other options? So we have, uh, as much as we do activation on the front end, we have arm care and conditioning that we do on the back end. I'm more of a proponent of the running. There's also a ton of stuff out there about post throw type routines, um, stuff that we can do that looks very similar to our activation series. Essentially, if we repeat our stretch routine, band routine, plyo ball routine we did before we throw and we take it and put it after we throw, keeping that arm mobilized, giving it some recovery time before we go down to the weight room and lift heavy to strengthen it. I'm a proponent of the strength and conditioning aspect, but we also have some great trainers and I've been, uh, you know, given some great trainers, athletic trainers throughout my playing career before I became a coach where um, there's plenty of rehab stuff and movement stuff you can do, but um, by whatever means necessary, stay healthy. I like to recommend the strength and conditioning aspect. If icing works for you and puts you in a good frame of mind, I'm not against that either. Awesome. And then the, the last question, um, what are the most important pitches to be able to throw as a high school pitcher looking to play in college? The way I like to think about that is if we can continue to develop pitches, that's a, like a good landmark for us. So usually it's two in high school, three by the time you get to college. If you can have really good, solid, repeatable command of your fastball and your changeup while you're in high school, meaning you can throw them in the zone where you want them in whatever count with your fastball and your changeup, that's going to bode really well for you when it comes to recruiting. And then by the time you get to college, every hitter in college has hit both of those pitches in high school. We need to mix something in there. We'll get that third pitch, that breaking ball mixed in by the time you get, get to school. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I can advocate on the, on the good changeup. Um, I, I say this all the time. That was my, my kryptonite as a hitter. Um, so if, if free pitches out there, if you can throw a good, like coach said, a good fastball, good changeup for now, that's definitely, definitely good arsenal. And then you continue to develop pitches on your way up. Um, but all right, well, that was uh, an amazing session, Eric. Thank you for all that information. I mean, uh, all the explaining you did with, with each slide and all the information that was provided will go a long way with, with our guys and, everyone that sees this. So that was my pitching talk with the Phillies RBI program from right around this time last year. Um, If there's anything in there that doesn't make sense to you guys, that makes sense to you guys and you really enjoyed it, make sure you drop us a comment, man. This is a, this is a platform that we hope to be interactive on. And if you guys can like us, subscribe us, download us on Spotify. We're on Apple podcasts. Now we have our channel on YouTube. That stuff goes a long way in supporting this podcast. So we're, we're super thankful for all of your support and for you guys pushing us along and checking out what we have to say.
Um, super thankful to the Phillies organization for giving me the, the opportunity to give this talk this time last year. And like I said, be on the lookout for part two to this, where I kind of give my updated takes on what I think I got right last year, what I've what I've been able to develop more on and, and the things that I might change. So be on the lookout for part two to this episode. And that's a wrap for today. So I'm Eric Reardon, and for the Green Grass and White Bases podcast, we're signing off. It's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the